God is in the blessing business. And because you were his child, blessing is your birthright. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. The problem we have is that blessings aren't always easy to quantify or qualify. Some are as simple and straightforward as the sunrise, and others are more difficult to discern, such as the blessing of brokenness. Join us as we dig into the idea of double blessing, how to get it, how to give. All right, good morning, church. Good to see you all today. Hopefully you all had a pleasant Thanksgiving, had plenty of turkey, plenty of ham, maybe a little beef. Whatever you like to do. So, uh, you know, if you see them after service, just say thank you to Tiana and the rest of the worship team uh, for this morning. Um, I really appreciate them. You know, that second song, that second song is such an amazing, this is what Pastor Rob will call a bonus, the sermon hasn't started yet. Um, that second song is just so awesome because it constantly reminds me whenever we sing it of just God pursuing us. You know, and there's nothing that's going to get in God's way when he's pursuing us. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, there are people that don't like the fact that they say reckless love in that song. Like, they don't know that God isn't reckless. And I'm like, no, I love that word. Like, God is just pursuing us with reckless abandon. He is willing to go anywhere and to do anything because of his great love for us. And, uh, you know, what's interesting about that song is, you know, you realize that's a song that really is, the idea of it is from Scripture. Parable of the Lost Sheep, Luke chapter 15. Now, his tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does not he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so I don't know, I mean, I know you're here at church, okay, or you're watching online, but maybe some of you feel like that one. And I'm just saying that God isn't going to give up. He's going to keep pursuing. He's going to keep going. And so it's such such an awesome reminder in those songs. Let's, uh, let me pray before I get going. Father, we thank you so much just for your incredible love for us that you will pursue us and you won't stop and so I pray Lord that we would just accept that accept your great love for us thank you Father use this time as we look at your word it's in Jesus name we pray amen so I want you to think for a second and I don't want you to say them out loud but are there any words that you just don't like? Any words that you just don't like? And, and I mean, aside from swear words or offensive words, like are there normal words, like they're normal to people, but you just don't care for them? Or, or maybe when you hear them, you cringe, you know, or you shudder in disgust. And, and so I, I don't know if this will, this will help you out as you're thinking. I don't, maybe you shouldn't spend too much time thinking about words you don't like. Okay, but like one of the words I was thinking about in this as I was getting ready for the sermon, and, and I don't even know if this was honestly a word. I didn't look it up in Webster's Dictionary, but in the last couple of years, I'm so done with the word reimagine. Okay, I, it, maybe none of you are even think twice when you hear it. I just get disgusted when I hear it. Okay, and so I don't ever want to hear it again. I don't want to talk, I don't want to reimagine nothing. Okay, and, and so you come up with some other word that means the same thing, but I just really hate that word. And so maybe, you know, maybe you have some words 
Maybe you guys have some issues just like I do. And maybe you have some words that you don't like. Now, sometimes it's dangerous to type things into Google. Um, but I, I typed into Google as I was preparing this sermon. I just typed into Google words that people don't like. Okay, and I'm going to share a few of them with you. Maybe some of them will make you squirm a little bit. Squirm wasn't one of them, but it's very close to one of them. So as I looked at words that people don't like, secrete, smear, squirt, viscous, phlegm, seepage. Do you notice there's a common denominator here amongst most of these words? I mean, whatever. Flap. What's wrong with the word flap? I don't know. Whatever. Okay, now whatever, you give it to me in the wrong context, there's going to be issues. You know, like if we're talking about something, like if it's one of my kids, you know, or somebody like that, and they say whatever with the wrong tone and the wrong look on their face, man, the fists are going up. Okay? So whatever, I could see that one. Dude. Okay, dude's one of those words, either you love it or you hate it. Okay, there's like no in-between. You love it or you hate it. Uh, Like. You know, like when someone says like, uh, like every fourth word in a sentence, like all the time, they're saying like. All right, literally. Literally. Okay. I didn't even think about this till just now, but like whenever someone says honestly, is they're talking to you, well, honestly, da, da, da. Well, I mean, have you been honest with me up to this point? You know, like, doesn't that make you worry? Like, we were, we were recently on a, on, a, on a cruise in Mexico, and the, uh, we were on a tour, and the guy that was doing the tour, he kept saying things and then saying, trust me, trust me. It's very safe here in Cabo San Lucas. Trust me, trust me. You know, yes, there are great white sharks out in the water, but no reported incidents with them. Trust me, trust me. I mean, I can't guarantee anything, but trust like, And all of a sudden, I'm like, you've said trust me so many times, I no longer trust you. Okay, so literally is one of those words. Now, what seems to be the most hated of the normal words in the English language was the word moist. Okay, was the word moist. And I don't want to spend too much time thinking about that, but let me tell you, I like my cakes and my brownies moist. Okay, so it's not a bad word in my book. But you know what, as Christians, and as a Christian, there are some words maybe you don't think twice about them, But there are some words, maybe just because of the issues that I have going on in my head, there are some words that I don't really care for. Maybe some words that people have taken out of the Bible, they're biblical words, but they've kind of twisted them. And so when I hear somebody talk and say these words, I immediately become skeptical of them. Like the word victory. Because like whenever a preacher uses the word victory, and I know there's a song that we sing that talks about victory, you know, I'm obviously not talking about that song, okay? But quite often, when a preacher will use the word victory, they're making promises to you that they can't keep. Or they're telling you, if you just have enough faith, God's going to bring a victory in your life. And I'm like, eh, you know, that's not necessarily true. Because we can have all the faith in the world. We can have great faith. And you know, sometimes things just don't work out. And so those people that are promising you victory, if you just have enough faith, it's just not true. And so I get a little worried when I hear that word. And victory should be a great word. The other word that I was really thinking about, it's kind of uncomfortable to say this because the other word that I really don't like is the word blessing, which happens to be the title of our sermon series, Double Blessing. So I doubly don't like it. The title of my sermon today is Flip the Blessing. Okay. Um, Pastor Rob keeps giving me interesting sermon titles. Let's just say that. Um, but blessing is one of those words. It is a good biblical word 
And yet quite often the way people use it, I'm like, eh. you know, like when you look in the Old Testament, honestly, the biggest blessing that I remember is Genesis chapter 49, is Jacob is blessing his children. Okay, that's what it's called, Jacob's blessing. Well, if you read what he says about his first three children, it doesn't seem like much of a blessing. Okay, it seems like more of a curse. Okay, and it seems more like some kind of a prophecy over his children, you know. And so that's maybe some of the reasons why I think, oh, blessing, a little bit weird. Okay, or, or often I think one of the reasons, the biggest reason why, is quite often, again, it's some, some bad preacher, or some television evangelist promising you that if you just send in your money so he can buy himself a new jet, God's going to give you a blessing. Keep your money. He doesn't need a jet. He can fly coach. Okay, and God is not offering you any blessing, okay, for that. And so I think that's why, now again, I say blessing's not a bad word, but when used in the wrong context, like whatever, it offends me. And so the problem is, like I said, these are distortions of words that God uses and that are, that are good. So in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, it says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Let me tell you, this is a, this is a, a one-off in the Bible. God doesn't run around saying, test me, okay? Uh, it, most of the time, he's telling us, trust him. But this passage says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. When the Lord uses the word blessed, it's okay. All right? And in this passage, he is making this promise to the Israelites that if they just do what they're supposed to do, bring the whole tithe and the swords, he's going to bless them. That is a promise that he made them. And you know what? Even though that the tithe is an Old Testament concept, I believe that is what God expects from his people still. And God wants to bless us. But again, unfortunately, so many people have used the word wrong and they just have damaged it. God desires to bless his people. And so again, I'm immediately skeptical. And so, so it just so happens the fact that, you know, whenever Rob, Pastor Rob does a sermon series, and if there's a book that goes with it, he gives them to me. Okay, he gives me the books. And um, I assume he reads them, but I'm telling you that I read them. Okay, because sometimes Pastor Rob comes up with a sermon series, and when I just look at his little notes, I'm like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Okay, I, I don't know what he wants. And so, like, I read this whole book. But when I got this book in my box, I went, oh, really? Double blessing? Like, double word, the word that I don't like? Okay, not that I'm probably being blessed, but, you know, so I read this book. And I read it with a very skeptical eye. Because I was waiting for the guy to say something that I didn't agree with. All right? I made it through the whole book. And actually, I've only sent him a few notes about things for changes for the next print. But... It just was, it was a little bit of a struggle. And, and yet, as we've been talking about this series, the idea is this, and I believe this is true with all my heart. God wants to bless us. Do you guys believe that's true? God wants to bless us. Like, God wants good for us. Like, he's not up there in heaven just looking around waiting to bust you. He's not up there in heaven going, man, I am waiting for Walter Pittman to step out of line, and then I'm going to zap you. 
Okay? I believe God's up there in heaven watching us, and he wants to bless us more than anything else. But he doesn't just want to bless us for ourselves. Like, I think he wants us to savor it maybe for a moment, but what he really wants to do is he wants to bless us so that we can bless other people. Okay, savor it for a moment, and the title of our sermon today is Flip the Blessing, the idea of savor it for a moment and then flip that blessing to someone else. Use what God has blessed you with to bless other people. That's what he wants for all of us, is to be looking for ways to bless others. And so God's blessings aren't supposed to come to a dead end with us. Okay, now the greatest way that God has blessed us is by saving us, isn't it? So isn't that the greatest thing that we could pass on to somebody else, is to the, the, the pass on the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior? That ought to be something that we are looking to bless others with all the time. God has called us to be generous. Like, that's one of our core values as a church. I remember our five core values by the simple, uh, I don't even know what the acrostic, G-felt. It's not a real word, but I made it up. Generosity, fun, excellence, life change, and team. Generosity is a core value of our church. It's what we believe God has called us to be. So when I was a freshman in Bible college, I took a class called Theology of Ministry with a guy named Mont Smith. He was eccentric, okay? Um, Other people might have used the word weird, but he was eccentric. He just had a different way about doing things, but his class was so good. Like out of all the classes that I took, and back then, you had to make notebooks for each of your classes, okay? That is the only notebook I still have. And I will look through that notebook a couple times a year when I'm looking for different things. And so he was, he was I'm going to stick with the word eccentric, but there were times, and I won't do it right now when I'm preaching because I don't think the camera could follow me, but while he's teaching, he would just like walk to the corner of the room and he would face the corner and he would just continue to teach, okay? And, and, and so he was just a little bit weird, but the things that he taught were so important for us. We spent a lot of time talking about covenant. You know, the Bible talks all about covenant. The old covenant, new covenant. And when we learn things like parties, terms, and promises, with all of God's covenants there, the parties, the people that are involved, the terms, what the expectations are, and then the promises. And then after we talked about that, he talked about this. And this is what's important for us today, is we talked often about this. Whenever... Whenever we have any kind of privilege, there always comes some kind of responsibility with that privilege. And and I think that's still true today. Any kind of privilege we have, there's some kind of responsibility that God expects for us. That God expects us not to use that privilege just for ourselves, but to turn it around for other people. And so we might immediately, like because of that passage, think about our finances, but generosity goes beyond our finances. Our generosity is our time and our talents as well as our treasures. And so there's three passages in Scripture that I want us to look at this morning that I think will help us kind of clarify how we can bless others. The first one is in Matthew chapter 14. It's a familiar story. The feeding of the 5,000. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened... He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. 
You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. The first thing I want to notice about this passage this morning is this. You know what? Jesus blessed others. In his life, Jesus blessed others even in the midst of a difficult time. Jesus blessed others even in the midst of a difficult time for him personally. If you go back and you read the, the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, you know that Jesus and John the Baptist are related. Okay, John's mother, anybody know who John's mother was? Okay, John's mother was Elizabeth. Jesus' mother, we're a little more familiar maybe. Okay, Jesus' mother was Mary. Okay, very good. Okay, and so we're told in, in the beginning of Luke, Mary is told that she's going to give birth to Jesus, but she's also told that her relative Elizabeth is pregnant. And so they're excited. So Mary hears this. She runs off to Elizabeth's house. And when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, it talks about how John the Baptist like leapt in her womb. And so there are these cousins, Jesus and John the Baptist, they're having a moment with each other. In the womb, they're having a moment. Like they haven't been born yet, and they're already, you know, relating with each other. And so John the Baptist was born, and his job, John the Baptist's job, was to prepare the people for Jesus. He was a great man. John, the, read, the story, read the stories of John the Baptist in the Gospels. He was a great man, but he knew what his role was. His role was not to be drawing attention to himself. His job was to draw attention to Jesus and to lay the foundation for what Jesus was going to do. John the Baptist was the one who baptized Jesus, spent his life laying that groundwork. And so if you go back to the passage we read, when it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, that's referencing the section right above it in our Bibles. And what happened in that section right above it is John the Baptist had been beheaded. John the Baptist had been killed. He'd been put to death. He's just found out that his cousin has been put to death. And he's found out that someone so instrumental in his life is no longer around. Imagine how you would feel in that moment. Imagine being Jesus in that moment and finding out that John the Baptist had been put to death. And so it makes sense where that section talks about Jesus withdrawing by boat privately to a solitary place. Like he's the son of God, and yet he needs a moment to mourn just like the rest of us. Like he understands our pain. Like this is one of those passages that helps me as I really try to relate to Jesus, knowing that Jesus understands our pain. That's a totally different sermon, but maybe the most important one. Like Jesus understands. Like whatever the struggles are that we're going through, he understands them. He understands our pain and our loss because he experienced it. But I want you to notice this. In the midst of this difficult time, for him personally, he saw the needs of others, and he did something about it. Like he displayed generosity even in the midst of his pain. And that's an important lesson for us because, you know, what? generosity rarely comes at a time or is rarely asked of us at a time that's convenient. Isn't generosity normally asked of us at a time that's inconvenient? Okay? And it doesn't matter if we're talking about generosity with our time, our talents, or our treasures. It is rarely convenient. The second thing I want us to notice is this, is that if Jesus calls us to do something, 
We need to trust that he already has a plan. You know, aside from the resurrection of Jesus, this miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, is the only miracle that you find in all four of the Gospels. And there's a reason for that. I think each Gospel writer writes it, has a little bit their own unique perspective on it, but I think there's a reason why they do that. And in John's Gospel, he adds this. He says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus asked the question, but he already had a plan. Like, I, you know, it says he was testing him. I like to think Jesus was messing with him. Okay? Like they have this massive crowd, and Jesus is just messing with them. You know, like, hey, we should feed all these people. And they're like, what? You know? And, and so, like, he's just messing with them. And so Philip hears Jesus and probably thought, impossible. This can't happen. There is nothing we can do, but Jesus had a plan. And so in the book, Double Blessing, the author writes this. He says, listen, everyone wants a miracle, but no one wants to be in a situation that necessitates it. Isn't that true? We all want miracles in our lives, but we don't want to be in the situation that necessitates it. And then it says, this is awfully reassuring, isn't it? Even when we feel like we're up a creek without a paddle, God has a plan. Hey, even we feel like we're up a creek without a paddle, God still has a plan. And so in this story, Jesus' plan involved a boy who had five loaves and two fishes. Now just imagine, so a couple weeks ago we had Celebrate. And imagine if we'd have shown up, if you'd have shown up, if I showed up, and I said, oh, Pastor Greg, what are we eating tonight? He says, well, I got five loaves and two fish. Okay, I'd have been like, that's a terrible plan. And we're all going home hungry. Okay, and yet that was the plan. And it doesn't sound like much of a plan, but you know, God's math works a little different than mine. And so our job, and this is point number three, our job is to give God whatever we have. To give God whatever we have and then let him worry about the multiplication. Our job is to give him whatever we have and let him worry about the multiplication. You may feel like a little boy who's got five loaves and two fish. You don't have much to offer. Your job is simply to be faithful. Offer him what you have, what you can, and let him take care of the rest. We don't know how old this boy was who gave up his lunch. But I I can assume that when he gave it up, he knew it wasn't going to go far. But he was willing to give it. It wasn't much, but he was willing to give it. And crazy thing about the story, his five loaves and two fish turned into how many basketfuls of leftovers? Twelve. Okay? Turned into twelve basketfuls of leftovers. It doesn't make sense. It defies mathematics, but that's the way God's math works. You may, you may be sitting here today saying, I don't have much to offer. I don't have much to give. And I'm saying to you, just bring your five loaves and your two fish and let God take care of it. You make your time, your talent, and your treasure available to God, and he's going to take care of the rest. So another verse that I think reaffirms what I just said there is in Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21, starting at verse 1. It says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow putting into two, putting in, let me read it right. He also saw a poor woman put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. It's just an interesting story. Like, you know, we have the offering stands that are by the back door, and they're kind of subtle. We don't make a big deal about it. You know, 
Imagine Jesus was standing by one of those on your way out of church today. You know, that might be a little bit awkward, okay? And so that's kind of Jesus is sitting there, and he's watching everybody. And he's watching them put whatever it is that they're putting in here. Jesus isn't impressed by all those that have a lot. He's impressed by this poor widow who puts in all that she has. And so our generosity isn't measured in the value or the amount. It's measured in our sacrifice. And so, again, we might sit there and say to ourselves, my time, my talent, my treasure isn't much, and that's okay because God wants to honor whatever it is that you have. He is looking at our hearts. He is looking at our willingness to sacrifice. He's sacrificed. He saw a lot of rich people putting stuff in. He's not criticizing them, but he's impressed by this poor widow. Last passage we're going to look at is in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. It says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants in, or servants, and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once, put his money to work, and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came in. Master, you've entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who received one bag of gold. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvested where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him. Give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has, more will will be given. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is an uncomfortable point, but the reality is we're going to be held accountable for what we do with the time and the talent and the treasures that God gives us. And one of the interesting things that's said early on in this passage about each one of those people, one was given five bags, two bags, one bag. But it also says that they were given each according to their ability. He didn't expect the same thing out of the one-bagger, did he? Yeah, he didn't expect the same thing. Matter of fact, it, it didn't, you know, the other ones doubled. The, the five-bag and two-bag person doubled it. In the story, he'd just been happy if he did something with it instead of just burying it. And so we'll all be held accountable. And so some of us here, with your time and your talents and your treasures, you are a five-bag-of-gold person. Or you're a two-bag-of-gold person. Or you're a one-bag-of-gold person. And you know we're all important. On missions trips, whenever we're doing work, let me tell you, my talents are not five bags. Okay? Like when it comes to building things and fixing things, I'm not even a one-bagger. Okay? I'm good for carrying stuff for the five-baggers. All right? 
You know, like, it, it, like, you know, there are people I pick on all the time around here, but there's some people that are really talented here. The best usage of my time on some of those trips is carrying their stuff, okay, because they're the ones that have the ability. And that's what God wants us to do. Whatever your, your time, your talents, your treasures are, it doesn't matter how much or how little it is. He just wants you to be faithful with it. And so as we close, I want you to think about some practical ways that we can, as a sermon title, talks about Flip the Blessing. And, and the reason it's entitled Flip the Blessing is this. In this book that Mark Patterson wrote, he constantly talks about, about how him and his church, they try to take whatever God blesses them with, and instead of holding it on to themselves, they try to flip it and give it to other people. And so in his books, he describes a time where, where early on in their church, they needed $5,000 for some kind of sound system, uh, which sounds really reasonable today, okay? But they needed $5,000, and another church gave them that $5,000. And so now, 20-something years later, as God has blessed their church, they frequently like to give other churches, you guessed it, $5,000. It's a reminder to their church of how God had previously blessed them. And so God wants us to take those blessings and flip those blessings to bless others. And so my first encouragement to you would be this. Don't wait. Start blessing others today. Okay, don't wait until you think you've got enough or you have enough ability, whatever. Start looking for ways that you can bless other people today. Secondly, and I don't need to spend a lot of time talking about this, but I would encourage you all to make tithing a priority. Okay, listen, there isn't a church in the world that would have any kind of financial issues if people were tithing. I'm convinced if, if all the church just gave half of a tithe, finances would be fine at every church. And so I think that's what God wants from us. Third thing, I, I would encourage you all to ask God, pray to God to help you to figure out who you should bless and how. Okay, beg God. Say, God, who do you want me to bless and how do you want me to do it? Okay? That's so important, finding out what he wants. The, the fourth one, this is just really practical to me is this, find a charity that's making a difference and bless them. Okay, there's so many things going on in the world. So many things, and there's so many good charities, so many good causes, and we can't possibly help them all. So you know what I would encourage you to do? Find one that speaks to an issue that you care about. Do some research and make sure it's a good charity, that it's not just enriching the CEO of it. Okay, but find yourself a good charity and give to them. And I don't care if they're a Christian charity or not. Just find a good charity and give. Several years ago, there was an issue going on, and, and I was like, man, my, my voice it means nothing here. And so I did. I started looking for a charity to support. I found this charity. I'm not telling you what it is. It's my charity. I find your own. And, and we started, my wife and I started giving towards that charity. Now, I did something bad. I didn't even tell my wife. Okay? It just started showing up on our monthly credit card statements, okay? I don't encourage that. But I want to encourage you all to find a charity and bless them. It doesn't have to be a lot, okay? My, my, my blessings to that charity probably pays their postage, all right? And so it doesn't matter. And so I'd encourage you all to flip that blessing, to look for ways for you to take God's blessings in your life and pass them on to others. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. Most of all, I'm thankful for your son, Jesus, for what he did for us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to look for ways to share your love with the world around us. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to look for opportunities to share how you have blessed us. Lord, I pray that as a church, Lord, that our church would bless others. I pray that as individuals that we would do that. I pray that you would use whatever it is that we have to offer and you would do something great with it. Thank you, Lord, for your examples in Scripture. It's in Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day.